so glad. I'm glad to be here too. If you are if you're visiting with us, I want to say thank you for coming. Thank you for being here. Thank you for taking time out of your day to be with us. Awesome to see you. Um, I just, uh, before I get going here, I want to bring a, just attention to a few things um, attached to your bulletin. There were a couple of informational prayer points for breaking free. It's on the, the uh, purple sheet. And uh, then also the other flyer is from Hope Pregnancy Center. Um, just some information, how to be involved, how to pray. Um, I encourage you to take a look at those, take those home. Uh, be praying for those two ministries that we sponsor, that we um, you know, come in, uh, we partner with each year. So I encourage you to be praying for them. Um, also, we've been, we're in the middle of a 21 days of prayer to kind of launch 2014 next Sunday evening. We will culminate our time here, 6 o'clock. It'll be a time of uh, prayer and worship. So I encourage you to come out to that um, worship practice tomorrow night for all the worship team folks. Um, and also, we're going to need some celebration workers. Um, if you would like to help volunteer, you can see that announcement in your bulletin. And then on the back, there's information about the Chippewa County Mentoring Program. And so you can take a look at that as well. Just a few announcements, uh, community things to be involved with. All right, let's pray. Let's get right into this this morning. God, thank you. Lord, for your presence that's here. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for being with us. Lord, we just, um, we want to hear from you again and again every day. We want to give our hearts to you. We want to declare our love for you and um, declare our dependency upon you. Lord, we do desperately need you every day. And I pray, God, that this morning we would uh, again hear from your word, that your word would come alive to us. Lord, as we've been going through this epic called the story, looking at the Bible from beginning to ending, and the different things that we see in there and what it speaks to us, because God, Lord, you did speak back then, but you are speaking through it and you're speaking to us today. And I pray, Lord, that we would have ears to hear what you're saying to the church what you're saying to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. And so we continue um, here. Actually, this is going to be kind of an interesting day because it's going to be somewhat different. I'm preaching a mini-sermon on the story. We're going to continue our journey and through the story. It's going to be a mini-sermon. I know some of you guys are thinking, yeah, I'll believe that when I see it. I'm hoping to do that. Um, and then we're going to move into, we're going to take a, a little bit of about a five-minute break in between to get set up, and then we're going to talk about the 2014 vision. And so uh, you get kind of a two-for-one special today. Buy one, get one free. So don't say we didn't give you anything. But as we pick up the story, and I'm going to kind of move somewhat quickly through this, we've looked at Israel has risen as a nation we looked very closely at the first three kings of Israel. You remember, they, they asked God, we want a king. Um, God was grieved, but he gave them Saul. We looked at Saul. We looked at David. We looked at David's son, Solomon. Um, we looked at how Solomon forsook God and did his own thing. That was ultimately his demise. He took control from, you know, at first he started out with being under God's control, under God's rule, under God's sovereign um, control of his life, and he forsook that and said, I'll do whatever I want to do, and that was his demise, and he did things how he wanted to, and he, he suffered some horrible consequences, but not only he did, but his son did, ultimately Israel did. 
And so last week we looked specifically of how the nation of Israel was torn in two, this nation that was split in two because of Solomon's son Rehoboam. He decided to follow in his dad's track. He rejected God's authority in his life to do, again, his own thing. Remember, he had an opportunity, as Solomon did, as all the kings did. You have an opportunity to do what is right before God and have a successful reign. And so Rehoboam goes to the elders, and he's uh, asking for their advice on how to rule. They give him advice, give him great wisdom. But then he goes to his young friends who he grew up with. And they're saying, you know, reject that. You do whatever you want. You tell them that, you know, you tell them that you thought your dad was a heavy hitter. You wait till I start ruling this place. And so he took their advice, become heavy handed. And so God tore the kingdom from him. And the majority of the kingdom went to Jeroboam, one of Solomon's subordinates. And so it was a kingdom that was torn in two because Rehoboam had rejected God's word. And so he becomes king of Judah. Solomon's subordinate, Jeroboam, becomes king of Israel. And here's the fact on this. It was a brutal season for them. It was a brutal season for Israel because of disobedience and wicked rule. They were spiraling out of control. They had ultimately lost the influence that, that, that God had for them. Remember God's covenant. You can go back and when, if you've been tracking with the story, remember God had told Abraham, I will bring you into a place and this promised land, and here we are in the promised land, but years and years before God had spoke to Abraham in covenant, I will make your name great, I will make your people great. And they were their ultimate calling was to be an influence for God among the people there. They were to be God's representatives in this new land. And so they had spiraling out of control, wickedness was abounding, and they had lost their influence. We talked last week about how the decisions we make have huge significance for good or bad. We also said, remember, we talked about our sin isn't just our sin, but it affects those around us. And you see that Solomon's sin affected his son, which affected a nation. Because the truth of, of that Galatians passage that we looked at last week is we do reap what we sow. But God, because of God's mercy, and here was the good news part of last week, because of God's mercy, we can turn around and we can go the other way. We can go God's way because of God's mercy at any moment through a sincere heart of repentance, and that's the key. That's what, that's what shifted David's rule because David blew it majorly. David had, had some wicked issues in his life, but you know what got him back on track was his heart of repentance, his heart of saying, God, forgive me. I've lived my own way. I've done my own thing, and I want to do it your way. And so a sincere heart of repentance will get God's attention, and God is looking to, to give mercy. His mercies are new every day. And when we submit ourselves to the Lordship of Christ again and again, he hears our heart. And so kings come and go in Israel. We, again, there are way more bad kings than good. That's the tragedy of this. It's spiraling out of every once in a while you'll have a diamond in the rough. One of the kings will rise up. And if you track along and you read along the one-year Bible, it's such refreshing reading. It's like I'm so, so glad to finally have somebody good to cheer for. Somebody that says, I'm going to worship God. I'm going to you know, do the right thing. Josiah you know, comes up, and he's worshiping God, and he's removing the idols from the land. And we're like, yes. You know, and, and then it doesn't last long. And, and, and throughout Israel and Judah's history, there are way more bad kings than good. 
The people are, 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 are down just as, as their kings were, you know, sometimes godly, most of the time ungodly, choosing their own way instead of God's way. And so because of this, they are led astray into idolatry by other nations around them. So instead of the calling of God upon the people, and, and again, track with me, when we hear the upper story, lower story, we hear our calling through this too. So instead of the calling be upon the people to, I, I, I want to put my spirit upon you and I want you to influence and be my ambassadors, my representatives to the earth, the people were being influenced by the world and the people around them and doing the things that they did. And so they begin to be in an idolatry, giving honor, reverence, affection to something or someone other than God. Idolatry is just the, the opposite of true worship. So in the midst of these years, God began calling messengers to speak on his behalf. We call them prophets. Now that word prophet or prophecy can have kind of a mystical kind of, you know, ooh, prophecy, you know, prophet, you know. Um, it doesn't have to be weird. It's, it simply means messenger. There are, were people in the Bible, you know, that, that you had that were just straight up messengers of God, and they would speak to, to the people on behalf of God. There were some that had somewhat future kind of prophetic, you know, where you have that, that, that it was a message about the future, a prophecy of what was to come, and you had that in the middle of this. But in the midst of these kings rising up in the people, you had these prophets, these messengers, speaking to the people on behalf of God. Now, obviously, why God did this is this is before Jesus came. And now, you know, now that Jesus, we, we can hear from the Father, doesn't mean that we don't have prophecy or we don't have the gift of prophecy or maybe people that are prophetic or prophets. But now, now we, have, we have direct access. We ourselves can go into the throne room, into the presence of God. This was just a time that a lot of times God would speak audibly to the prophet and say, all right, go tell the people what I've told you. And so God's messengers are rising up. And you would think that they would go in and they would hear audibly from God. And you would just think the people go, ooh, you know, they've spoken. They've heard from God. We need to do what they are telling us to do. But if you read, you will find out quickly that being an Old Testament prophet was not a job that any of you would ever want, nor me included. It was brutal. The majority of the time they were rejected. Um, you know, this was not something going, ooh, ooh, you know, I, I think I'd like to be a prophet. As you would watch a prophet for any amount of time, you would probably say, ooh, ooh, God, please don't make me be a prophet. Because these guys were, I mean, they had to go through, they had to endure a lot of things, a lot of times persecution from the people. And here, here was a lot of their, here was a lot of their calling. Can you imagine this? God says, okay. You know, he's, if you were with me here, I, I don't know if he physically had his arm around them, but, you know, he's like, all right, here's, here's I'm going to call you as a prophet to the nation. I want you to tell them what I tell you, but I need to just let you in on a little information. I'm going to give you all, I'm going to give you the messages to tell the people, but they're not going to listen to you. Good luck. <laughs> you know, not that God would say good luck, but, but you know, maybe he said, you know, bless you. I, I, I don't know, but... That was a part of, like, some of them, he said, tell them what I tell them. By the way, they're going to turn a hard heart to you, and they're not going to listen to you. But you need to tell them anyway. Give them an opportunity to hear.
And so the vast majority of the time, in these time of the, the, the kings and the prophets, these messengers, the people wouldn't or didn't want to listen. Why would that happen is, is in the midst of it, you do see mercy because God wanted to give an opportunity for mercy, but he did know their hearts. And so being a prophet was a rough, rough job. And so the message is to the people. Again, the prophets did some weird things. Have you ever read and said, what in the world is God asking of this guy? Because sometimes it was just they were, you know, they would just give an audible message of saying, here's what the Lord is saying. I mean, you see a lot of that in Jeremiah. Jeremiah, they called him the weeping prophet. Jeremiah was one of those guys he even accuses God one time. I mean, he is just upset because he's, he's called very young and, 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 and God is saying, you know, you go to the nations, you speak the word that I tell you to speak. And then throughout time, he sees what's happening. I mean, Israel, during his time, Israel goes into captivity and he's weeping. And one time he says, God, you, you, you kind of bait and switched me. That's my version. You made this sound like it was going to be, tell them, you know, they're going to repent, they're going to get right with God. And I mean, now they're taking him, they're beating him up, they're throwing him in the bottom of a well. I mean, it was bad for him. And so sometimes the, the messages were just straight up audible, here's what God is saying, and you have an opportunity to respond to that. Other times God would ask them to do something that would be a prophetic sign. And that's where it gets really strange. I mean, Ezekiel one time, God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to bake bread over human dung. This is real. If you're, if you're thinking that this is, yeah, read the Bible. It's pretty exciting. And, and Ezekiel, and he goes, I want you to show the people that, because it was, you know, it, it was a defiling thing uh, to do that, uh, you know, and, and, and he said, I want you to show, I want to, that to be a sign to the people that they have defiled my name. And so Ezekiel's going, wait a minute, I, I, I wouldn't ever do that. And, you know, th this would defile me, and I, I can't do that. And God says, okay, how about cow dung? And, and Ezekiel goes, okay, we'll do cow dung. I'm wondering if he meant cow dung all along. He just was going to try to sell it to him as human dung. And, and then he says, no, I can't. This is real. I mean, there are other things that I could go on and on, but God would require the prophet. Sometimes he said, I want to show them something. I want to teach them by what, you're, by what you're doing. You're going to be a sign to the people. You're going to, you're, what you're doing is a prophetic message. In all of it, the messages were very similar. They had a similar ring. They had a similar tone always. And again, don't just miss it that it was for Israel. This word is to us too. But here it was a call to repentance. It's always been a call to get right with God. Turn from your sin, turn from your way of living, and turn to God and his way of living. Turn to the lordship of Christ. Turn to God being in control of your life. Stop following the customs of the world around you and follow me once again. And that was that a similar ring, and it would have maybe different manifestations. It would look a little different in the call, but you could boil it back down to repent, get right with God. Because if you don't get right with God, there are going to be consequences. 
If you want to live life on your own and you want to get off the rails, you will eventually fall off the cliff. And God is saying, by mercy, I'm crying out to you. And he would tell these guys to, and and they would give these groaning calls of saying, you are on your way to drop off the cliff and you can't see it. Come back to God. And then over and over, unfortunately, you would see them say, we're not going to listen to you. We're going to do our thing. And guess what? Over and over, you see them going off the cliff. And what does it tell us? Get back with God. He's merciful and he loves you and he has a great plan for your life. But we have to do it his way. So God used these messengers of agents of mercy and grace. What they had to do was brutal, but God still loved the people. He wanted them to be in alignment with himself. At times he would use them to display his great power to get the people's attention. Other times, he would require them to do something that seemed very foolish to speak to their hearts. But again, ultimately, all of it was to call them back to himself. I want to look at two stories that illustrate these kind of uh, these different ways that God would use his messengers. One with power, and one we're going to look at where God asks a prophet to do something foolish in the world's eyes. But, but we're going to hear what God was doing and, and his call to the people. The first one, and you know that this is the first uh, kind of uh, main prophet that we see in Scripture. Doesn't necessarily mean he was the first prophet, but we, he's the first one we see a lot of his life. Elijah, there was not, you know, we have the book of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Uh, Elijah doesn't have a book about him uh, per se, like just the, the, uh, named after him. But when you look in 1 Kings, you see the time where he was the prophet to Israel. And so I'm going to give you just a little backdrop. We're going to talk about one story where God displays his power to speak to the people. And then, uh, then we'll look at the next one. But he shows up in 1 Kings 17 during the reign of King Ahab. If you track along and if you're looking at the kings of Israel, King Ahab was incredibly wicked. Incredibly wicked. He was married to a woman named Jezebel who was incredibly, incredibly, probably more wicked than he was. This was a wicked rule. It was an awful time for Israel. They had led them into worshiping the false god Baal. There was intense persecution for anyone who would cross them, especially Jezebel. They were known to kill prophets of God. Anyone that would try to worship God, they would, if they found them out, they would kill them. And so it was a brutal time, intense persecution for anyone that would want to worship God. And so they were leading the people to worship Baal. Here comes Elijah. Elijah, the prophet of God, God speaking to him to go and to confront Ahab. Ahab did not like Elijah at all. You can understand why. So Elijah shows up and God speaks to him. And then in 1 Kings 18, we see this showdown on Mount Carmel. It is one of the most intriguing stories because Elijah comes to Ahab and he said, let's summon the people, let's summon the prophets of Baal up on top of Mount Carmel, and we're going to have a throwdown, kind of. I mean, it's kind of like that. I mean, it's, 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 he says, you guys, the prophets of Baal, you 450 prophets of Baal, what we're going to do is you're going to build an altar over here. I'm going to build an altar over there. We're going to call out to God. You call out to Baal, I'll call out to God. The God who sends fire is the true God. And they're like, okay, we'll do that. That sounds like a great competition. 
And so they're going to see who the real God is. And so it's interesting that Elijah says, okay, you guys go first. And so it says that these prophets of Baal, they begin to dance around and chant and pray out to, to Baal. And this is kind of like an athletic competition. I mean, it's going to get pretty gory in a little bit. But it says Elijah's over there. He's talking trash to them. It really, he really is. He's saying, maybe you need to pray louder. And they're dancing around. They're gashing their arms, making themselves bleed. And they're trying to invoke Baal and say, you know, oh, Baal, you know, save us, help us, send fire, whatever they were praying. They were singing. And Elijah's over there going, maybe you should pray a little louder. Maybe your God's asleep. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe he's on a vacation. One time he says, maybe he's using the bathroom. If you don't believe me, read it. I mean, he's saying that. So he's talking a little trash. He's like, you know, maybe he's out in the restroom somewhere and you maybe need to wait till he gets back. This is all day long they go and they go and nothing happens. Finally, he says, okay, enough of that. And he goes over and before he, before he does prays over the altar that he has built and the sacrifice, he has them bring a ton of water. He just wants to make sure this is no fluke. So they pour hundreds and hundreds of gallons of water all over the sacrifice. And he says, God, show the people who you are today. And fire comes down from heaven and consumes that sacrifice. And it's interesting in the midst of this, and you see this key passage that you probably have already read. But again, you hear the heart of God. He displays his power, so we know that God is all-powerful. And he can display his power to reveal who he is, to ultimately to call people back to himself. But here's what he says to the people. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. This had nothing to do with the the prophets of Baal. He went to the people. And again, the heart of God is saying, How long are you going to flip-flop here? How long are you going to stand in one foot in the world, one foot in the church, one foot for God, one foot for yourself, and kind of straddle this awkward fence in your life because you're, you're never going to get anywhere if you try that? I don't know about you. If you've ever been on top of a fence and tried to walk, that's about how much sense. The, and he's saying, you're, don't waver between two opinions. If God is God, serve him. If Baal is God, then, then go for it. Go and reject God. Do it. But you need to know who the real God is. Stop flip-flopping around. You were not called to flip-flop. You were called to worship God with all your heart. And God loves you. And God displays his power. But the message, again, don't waver between two opinions. And that's what Jesus was saying. Jesus said, if you want to be my follower, I didn't call you to straddle the fence. He said, if you want to be my follower, you have to abandon your selfish ambitions. You have to take up your cross and follow me. That means all in. That means all in. That's not wavering between two opinions. It's saying Jesus is right, Jesus is Lord, and I'm following him. The second one, the second story is a bit strange. It's Hosea. This is one of those stories that God uses a prophet to do something strange to speak to the people. I don't want to jump ahead because I don't want you to read that yet. Some of you guys are like, too late, already read it. 
This is one of those times where, where you, you look at this story and you're, and, you're, and you're like, wow, that God would ask a prophet to do this. And basically, this is what he said. He tells the prophet Hosea, he said, I want you to marry a prostitute and I want you to love her. And you'd think, you know, the prophet's like, uh, coming, um, you know, for a second there, I thought you said to marry a prostitute. That's exactly what I want you to take her to yourself. I want you to love her. And so what was God telling the people through this? Because there is a common theme among the prophets when, 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 and when God would say, you know, when they were worshiping idols and they were, you know, going after the, the, the other nations around, they were going after their gods. God said, it's like you're prostituting yourself against me. I mean, he used some very graphic language. Ezekiel especially, he uses some incredibly graphic language about this. But he says, when you worship other gods and when you forsake me, it's like you're prostituting yourselves. That's the language. And you see this language used by several prophets. And it's not trying to be perverse at all. It's not trying to be graphic just for the sake of being graphic. What God is saying is, you were created for a loving relationship between me and you. If you track all the way back when we started this thing, and Adam and Eve and God creates people, God creates people because he loves us and he wants relationship with us, but he wants exclusive relationship with us. We were created to know him and to love him and be loved by him. And that's the calling on our life. And when we go our own way and we do our own thing, God has said, he said it's similar to prostituting yourself because you were called to be with me. You were called to be mine. And so he's telling the people through this, when you forsake me and do your own thing and you worship God, you, you are prostituting yourself and you are giving your heart and you're giving your affection to someone else. But here, again, listen to the heart of God in this. Because God says, Hosea, marry her, but love her. Love her. And so his response, and here's the mercy of God. This is where we can't miss it. This is where we can say, you know, we are not just signing up for church as a religious experience to follow rules to get God. We are... We are an or organism, a living organism that Jesus loves and he dies for, and he wants us for himself in a relationship. Because here is God's response to the people. You have been prostituting yourself, but you need to know I am still in pursuit of you, and I still love you. Yes, they would walk into some heavy circumstances sometimes, but he said, I'm still after you, I'm still chasing you, because one time in the midst of Hosea marries Gomer, this prostitute, he loves her. She leaves him again, and guess what? He goes and he finds her to bring him back to himself. And God is saying, even when you run from me, I love you. Even when you forsaken me, even when you hate me, even when you want nothing to do with me, I am in pursuit of you. Now out there, you're going to run into some consequences, and all those consequences are the mercy of God to say, come back to me. It's intense grace. It's intense love. And then this beautiful restoration is the key verse that we find that God is speaking to them. In chapter 2, he begins to speak to them about that they are being punished because of their idolatry and that there are severe consequences on what they've been doing. 
It speaks to us that we will have consequences when we go our own way and to do our own thing and reject Christ in our lives will bring those consequences. But then he goes on to say there, there, there is a promise of restoration when they repent and turn back and when we repent and turn back. Look at this passage. It's the heart of God. Therefore, I'm now going to allure her. This is God. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. This is basically if you have the idea of someone loving a prostitute. I will, go, I will lure her. I will lead her to the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. Don't miss that. Sometimes he leads us into the wilderness and hard places to get our attention. Therefore, I, there I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor or trouble a door of hope. There she will respond in the days of her youth as in the day she came out to Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. Isn't that a beautiful restoration? This is God's heart for people that reject him. Now, it does say in the Bible, he won't contend with man forever, but he is in hot pursuit of us. And his heart is touched by them turning back to him. And this has been his, the cry of his heart through the ages. And it's no accident that Jesus is called our bridegroom. It's one of his titles. That's not a gender thing, guys. It's just an identity thing. But over and over throughout the prophets, it's the same similar message. Come back to God. Sometimes it was strange, and sometimes God would require them to do some strange things, but it was always had that theme, come back to God. This is what you're doing now. Come back to God. Even we see John the Baptist, who was the kind of the last prophet before Jesus. Remember, he was there to prepare the way of the first coming of Christ into ministry. And, and, and John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Here is the Messiah. He's saying, here's, here's who we've been looking for. But guess what John's message was? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come. Isn't that what he said? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. Come back to God. That's what repentance means. Forsake your way of doing it and do it God's way. And so Jesus, and he's called our great prophet, that's one of his names, he began his ministry. You know what he began his ministry by saying? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And over and over, the prophetic word, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And so now we are God's messengers. Talked a little bit about this last week, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. This is our call. This is our call. As believers in Christ, followers of Jesus, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, messengers, his voice, as though God were making his appeal through us. Doesn't that sound prophetic in nature? Doesn't that sound like God is, he wants to speak through us? And we implore you on Christ's behalf. This is what he's, he's making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. It's the same calling they have. It's the same message. Be reconciled to God. Get right with God. You will never regret being right with God. You will never regret surrendering your life to Christ. He said, God, who made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that we in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
And that was the display of love, that when we rejected him, when we somewhat prostituted ourselves to do our own thing, Jesus died for us, and that was the display of his love. And so as followers of Christ, we've become prophetic voices to our world. To not only call by live to not only to only call by living to reveal Christ and call people back to Him um, with our with our voices, but also with our lives and the way we live. And some people again that word prophet or prophecy don't be weirded out. You know, it's it's not mystical. In fact, Revelation gives us a clear purpose and essence of prophecy. Here's the purpose for Revelation 19.10. You see the intent of prophecy. John is talking. He said, I fell down at his feet to worship him. This is angel, this messenger that's speaking to John and telling him things that are going to happen. But he said, no, don't worship me. Because he's saying, I'm not God. I'm not Jesus. Don't worship me. He's an angel. He said, I'm a servant of God, just like you and your brothers and sisters who testify about their faith in Jesus. Worship only God. Then he says this, for the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. The essence or purpose of prophecy. So any person that has a prophetic gift or they maybe have the office of a prophet, here's how you can tell if they're really true. Do they give a clear witness and testimony to Jesus by what they say? Because that's what prophecy should do. Prophecy, prophecy should give a clear witness or testimony to Jesus in my life. It should clearly point people to him, to be reconciled to him, to repent, to turn to him, to surrender to him. We are called to be God's messengers. We are called to do it not only in word, but in how we live. It's what Paul said to Timothy. He said, guard your life and your doctrine. In other words, don't just preach it. Don't just say it. You need to live it too. And so then we can let our lives be a prophetic sign as a clear testimony of Jesus. And we have those opportunities and we just go about and Christ lives through us and we daily are surrendered to Christ. And then what Peter says, he said, be ready to give an answer to the hope that is within you. Isn't that beautiful? Be a prophetic, be a prophetic sign to people by how you live your life. And be ready to then to verbally use it if you need to. But always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you. Let's pray. We're going to close this time too. And especially talking about Vision Sunday, we're going to receive communion. In communion, we remember Christ's death. It says that when you, he told us that when, when we did this, we would remember and, and, and testify of his sacrifice until he returns. And so it's a great way for us to end this time. And so, Jesus, we love you. Lord, thank you for the call that was on the, the lives of those prophets of old, oh God. And as we look back and we see their lives, Lord, it was that common theme of come back to God. And then Jesus, you showed up and you said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Get right with God. Come back to God. And then, Lord, you place your spirit in us to be a prophetic sign as messengers, as ambassadors, making your plea 
through us get right with God. Lord, I pray, God, that more than saying it, we would live it. We would live our lives before you, giving our hearts to you. And Lord, today as we close this particular time, uh, God, I, I, I just thank you again, Jesus, that you displayed your love for us. It says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The passage we just looked at, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be called the righteousness of God. Thank you for the cross, Lord Jesus. And once again, we want to gaze upon your sacrifice and say thank you for giving it all. And so um, we're going to move into a time of communion. There's going to be, they're going to bring the lights down, and uh, there'll be some worship music playing. Folks, on this side, you can take these elements here, and you can just come down that aisle and then go back to the center. You guys over here, just come down this side and come up the center. If you need assistance, if anyone needs assistance, just raise their hand. Leaders, if you could kind of keep your eye out. Uh, on, on, on eye out for some of those that might need assistance with uh, communion. You can bring the elements to them. But the reason why we do this is not some religious tradition. Um, we're commanded to do it. You say to that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus, he took this bread and, and he was basically saying, you remember the Passover that you celebrated and, and, they, and, 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 and there was this unleavened bread and he broke it and he said, the Passover is getting ready to be fulfilled. I'm getting ready to die a brutal death and this will be my body. It'll be broken for you. And whenever you take and you eat this at the Passover celebration, remember me. Remember the sacrifice I am fulfilling. I am the Lamb of God. I am taking away the sins of this world through the sacrifice that I'm about to do. As often as you eat it, remember me. After the supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant between God and his people. I'm going to shed my blood. It was symbolic of his blood that he would shed for you and me. He was brutally executed for you and for me. Don't lose sight of that. That's why the church exists. That's why we have vision and mission. That's why we should have our eyes on him. That's why we should be winning the lost and, and getting ready for eternity and walking in the way God wants us to walk is because of the cross that he died for us. He is the savior. He was executed for you and me because of his love for us. Outside of that, we have no chance. Often as you drink it, he said, please remember me. Do this until I return. And then Paul goes on to say, too, and this is a sobering moment. He said, don't ever receive the cup or the bread in a guilty way. And what does he mean by that? He means exactly what we just got through preaching about. He said, don't ever take communion if you're not right with God. He said, get right with God. Repent of sin and examine your heart. Search your heart. That's what David prayed that prayer. He said, search me, O God. See if there's any offensive way in, you, in me. Help me to be right with you. And so he says, don't, drink, don't, don't, take, the, don't take communion in a guilty way, but be right with God. And, and you can simply do that in the quietness of your own heart. And the way we do communion here is you don't have to be a member of this church. What we ask and what we see from scripture is that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of your life. You've put your trust in him. 
so then we if, 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 if that if that describes you then it's an open communion time and you feel free to worship the Lord in that way but let me pray and uh, while I'm praying just take a moment and uh, even before you take you just uh, ask the Lord to search your own heart God we love you thank you for your sacrifice thank you for your love for us and I pray God today that as we receive these elements that we would remember the cross, that we would never lose sight of your sacrifice. Pray that you would search our hearts, help us to be right with you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can come and take as you feel led. Also, don't leave uh, Vision Sunday. We'll be coming up momentarily.